you're listening to Love Ya, your guided tour of... Sorry. <laughs> I know. I know that I'm... I know what words I'm saying. You're doing great. You're doing great. You're listening to Love Ya, your guided tour through the wide, wide world of streaming teenage rom-coms. I am your co-host, Martha Sullivan, YA librarian and YA lit uh, connoisseur and expert, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host. I'm Marin Hagman, adult services librarian and rom-com enthusiast. Who only laughed at me a little bit through the four times it took me to get the intro to this show correct? Just a little bit. Um, I did want to open uh, our show today. Uh, we talked a little bit about this on Did You Do Your Homework? Um, but I just want all of our listeners out there to know uh, that even though it is not germane to this the subject of this episode. Uh, we are a podcast that stands in solidarity with the protests happening around the world and definitely across the country right now. Um, Black Lives Matter, all cops are bad, uh, defund the police. Um, I, I just, I want to make it very clear on all the platforms that I have a voice on that we are uh, protesting, we're donating, we are supporting any way that we can um, the movement that is happening right now. Well said. So, and I, I especially wanted to, to say that as a prelude to this movie that we are talking about today, which is extremely white. Um, very, very white. But was selected, uh, before all of this happened. Uh, and I don't want to it it feels a little bit trivial to be talking about things that are not the current political movement but at the same time i think that we all need outlets uh for for tension uh and so um you know we're we're here to provide you with a little insight into something light and frivolous and you know not serious just to to give your brain and your ears a break from everything else that is happening in this world. That said, the movie that we that we are talking about today is 2003's Amanda Bynes feature, What a Girl Wants. Uh, Marin, would you like to give us a quick uh, uh, synopsis of this film? Uh, sure. Yeah, so this film is about a 17-year-old girl who lives in New York named Daphne, um, who finds out, or, um, who decides that she is going to track down her father, um, and she, she knows who he is, but she has never met him, um, because her mother, uh, left... Um, before she was born, um, at the urging of his advisors, he turns out to be a wealthy English lord, um, played by the best person to play wealthy English lords, Colin Firth. 
Um, and so Daphne, who, oh, I don't think I mentioned, is Amanda Bynes, um, is played by Amanda Bynes. Um, so Daphne travels to England, hoping to meet him. Um, it turns out that he is engaged to another woman, um, and a whole weavy windy scenario of, you know, Daphne being acknowledged as his daughter, trying to, you know, be in society. Um, she also has a very cute romance with a hotel clerk slash musician, um, who she meets right away, um, when she gets to London. Um, through all of this too, um, Henry is campaigning for a seat in the House of Commons. He, her father, um, he already has a seat in the House of Lords, but he wants to be elected to the House of Commons, so there's kind of his political career. Um, there's also kind of the evil fiancé, um, who is very snobby and whose daughter is very snobby, and they try to derail Daphne at every turn into, you know, as she tries to develop a relationship with her father and fit in with highfalutin British society. Um... There is also, I would be doing you all a disservice if I did not mention the best part of this movie, which is Daphne's grandmother, British grandmother, played by the impeccable Eileen Atkins, um, who kind of knocks some sense into her in terms of being true to herself. Um, and this all comes to a head at her coming out party, um where the boy Daphne has been seeing um, is part of the band that's been hired, um, and she gets locked into a closet by her dad's evil fiancé um, and misses out on her much-hoped-for father-daughter dance. Um, and then afterwards, Henry realizes that his fiancé is evil, um, stops his political campaigning, decides that, um, he wants to be with Daphne and her mom, and finds out, uh, kind of, the lies that were fed to him about her mom's leaving, um, and that, you know, the fact they've been apart 17, 18 years has been a big old misunderstanding, um, and, yeah, everything... Turns out for the good, Daphne and her dad get to relationship, Daphne's parents get back together, Daphne goes to Oxford so she can hang out with her dad and cute boy, um, am I missing anything? No, I don't think so. And in fact, I'm probably doing this plot over justice by giving all the little threads of breakdown. This movie is very silly and frivolous. um... Yeah, there's not much substance to this movie. So, this movie came out in 2003, uh, when I was 16? Okay. I think, yeah, 16? Um, I can do math. I don't remember, I mean, I have seen this movie before, it's been a minute, I don't think I saw it in theaters, um... But this was, yeah, I was, I was definitely revisiting this movie. Um, but it was also a movie that I, I don't remember having like super strong feelings about when it came out. 
Um, it is not my favorite Amanda Bynes feature. I think that it's fine. I mean, it's um, not she's the man. Let's be honest. Well, ex- exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> it's not even really Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. <laughs> Sydney, Sydney White and the Seven Dwarfs. Oh, I forgot about that one. <laughs> um, but no, it is... I, I remembered it as being a totally serviceable kind of light, you know, Cinderella light comedy. And I, I think that that memory was uh, born out. Um, this is a very early aughts movie, though, in oh, terms yeah. of aesthetic. Oh, some of the outfits could have been on a BuzzFeed listicle. She... She has a line at one point she is talking to um Glynis is her dad's new fiance and Glynis's daughter whose name I can't remember um it's it's something incredibly stuffy and british yeah so Clarissa Clarissa yes Stephanie is talking to Clarissa at one point and she says your um, you're designer and I'm vintage and I was like mm, I I understand what you're going for with that line but also it yeah that line does not have a resonance <laughs> in 2020 that and maybe didn't even in 2003 no it was a it, it just felt very the whole movie was like, oh, of course they made this in 2003. Like, this movie could not have existed outside of that time. Oh, um, yeah. Well, and I will say, so I I was the perfect age demographic for this movie. I was, I had just turned 14 when it came out. Um, but I actually didn't see it until I was babysitting. Um, so I was a little bit older. Um, and if we're, do you listen to Blank Check at all? This seems like a non sequitur, no. but I promise it's not. I do not. Okay, so there's a whole running bit about one of the hosts is American, but he mostly grew up in the UK, so whenever he references something like this situation we're about to reference, they, like, put in a little, like, Big Ben noise. Like, what? You lived in England? But this movie actually came out when I was living in England, and back then, frequently movies would not come out, I think, until later. So I actually... Mm. I might have, like, missed this coming out. Um, so I, like, missed my prime age dra- demographic time to see this. Um, but yeah, I remember, like, watching it with neighborhood kids. I babysat. Oh, okay, apparently. Well, it might have come out around the same time in the UK. Not clear. I did not see it. Um... But yeah, so I remember, yeah, so I was probably like 15 or 16 when I watched it. And I remember just being like, oh, this is cute. Also, like, Mr. Darcy. And and the woman who plays his evil fiancé plays the villain in the 1995 Pride and Prejudice. So it was like double, like, oh my god, it's Mr. Darcy and Caroline Bingley still trying to get him. That is funny. Um, did you recognize the actor playing Ian, uh, Daphne's love interest? No! Who is that? So, he does not have very many credits, um, but I recognized him 
as the love interest from another teen rom-com. Um, I don't know. So the actor's name is Oliver James. Um, and I remembered him as being Hilary Duff's love interest from her teen rom-com, Raise Your Voice. Oh. She plays the aspiring singer-songwriter who rebels against her parents by going to music camp over the summer. I I believe that Oliver James was trying to parlay a film a career in film into a career in music. Um I don't know if that worked. Okay. Um, But it does look like he is native to the UK um, and is currently working in TV over there. So. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I I definitely remember watching Raise Your Voice. Um, I can't say that I have watched it since I was a teen. Oh, no. My sister and and I went to see that one in the theater. (laughs) Oh. Could not tell you why. Um. (laughs) But and it's funny too, like the movies you distinctly remember, like either A, oh yeah, I remember going to see this in theaters, or B, you remember being like, oh yeah, for some reason I didn't get to see that in a theater, and I remember like renting it, like back when we had to go to Blockbuster. Yeah, I I wonder if it was because uh, she and I were both Disney girls mm. growing up. And that was, that definitely would have had, like, a bunch of featurettes on Disney. Oh, sure. Because um, was that when Lizzie McGuire was still going on? Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm so sad about the fact that that, um, I guess not a reboot, sequel series has been put. Postponed. Yeah. Well, and not even postponed. I think it's been straight up canceled. Oh, has it? Yeah, because there were, like, creative differences, because Disney Plus didn't, like, want Lizzie McGuire to be an adult. Uh, And Hillary was like, "Mm, I have kids now, so... (laughs) Right. Yeah, I think Hillary and the... I don't know if it was the same creator as the original show, but, like, the creative head, I think, both Mm -hmm. were like, yeah, if we're not going to do it right, we're not going to do it. Well, you know what? More power to them, then. Right? Right. Oh, I was just very invested in Lizzie and Gordo's romance as a teen. I mean, so were we all. (laughs) So, I'm just, part of me, I mean, it's probably good that it ends on the note that it does in the movie, but, like, part of me just, like, really wanted to, like, see them get, like, a second chance romance as grown-ups or something. Yeah, that would have been cute. Also, I always thought it was kind of a bummer that Miranda didn't get to be in the movie. I know. That was a bummer. She was so cool. Um. Anyway, about this movie. <laughs> I feel like a Lizzie McGuire sidebar is very relevant for this time. Oh, yeah, especially because there's honestly... I mean, so this movie is a pretty straightforward um, pseudo-Cinderella story. Um... It's very about, like, being you and how that is more important than fostering familial connection. Um, 
Which is, like, not the worst message to be sending early odds teens, honestly. True. Um, I did, I did think it was a bummer that there is, the characters in the movie put more of an onus on Amanda Bynes to behave than they do on Colin Firth. Although he, I mean, he also, at by the end of the movie, is like, this isn't who, like, this isn't who I am. Um, yeah, I interpreted that as part of the villainy of the evil fiancé and also the High Sparrow, who is her dad and the other villain. Um, that is who that was. Yep. Oh, dang. <laughs> Um, you know, when he's not causing chaos in Westeros, he's just causing chaos in Amanda Bynes' life. Um, yeah, so I, I interpreted that as he, yes, there were some moments where I think it would have been much better for Colin Firth to have been like, no, my daughter gets to be who she wants to be. But I also thought there were a lot of moments of them like, either feeding him bad information about what things that had happened, um, or them kind of pushing that on him, and, yeah, I, w- I definitely would have liked to have seen more adults supporting Amanda Bynes getting to be who she wants to be, besides awesome grandma Eileen Atkins. Um. But I did like yeah, at the end that, like, that was his realization. And and you are definitely you were definitely right during your synopsis. Eileen Atkins is like the unsung hero of this movie. I think uh, she just the crushes part- it. <laughs> she has the best line in the whole movie when she says that like hugs are for children and pets. <laughs> it just her face when she says it. It's like Maggie's. It's like pre Downton Maggie Smith in Downton. <laughs> like. Yeah, it's extremely good. Oh, it's so um, good. And also, I I liked that the end, at the last scene of it is Amanda Bynes and her mom and Ian and Colin Firth and Eileen Atkins all enjoying the giant house. Yes. That Colin Firth's, like, it's like his historical family home because his mom still lives there, so he and Amanda Bynes both get to throw off the shackles of societal expectations, but still retain all of the privileges of being <laughs> a landed family in Britain. Yes. Yeah, there there were certainly way more room in this movie for a, like, deeper dive into classism. Um, woof, yeah. Um, I did enjoy that last little moment very much, though. Like, the mom bringing out, like, the salad and, like, mm-hmm. them having a family dinner. That was very sweet. Um, yeah. Yeah, this movie does not super engage very well or at all with the classist undertones that it kind of relies on like Daphne's otherness is framed as her being like weird and uncultured and American rather than her being poor 
even though it felt very much to me like that was also that was something the movie was kind of skirting around but didn't ever actually come out and like say yeah and it i mean i think the cinderella analogy is head on because it daphne's like can you know daphne's having grown up in a I think we're we're meant to believe a more working class background. I wasn't quite clear, like, yeah, it's it seemed from like the opening scenes, like she and her mom were working class. Um, yeah, she lives in Chinatown. They live in an apartment in Chinatown in New York City. Um, she and her mom both work. As she's seventeen and working, um, which is usually shorthand in teen story world for you know, needs, needs financial support. Right. Um, which did make me wonder how she could afford a spur of the moment plane ticket to Britain. I know. I was thinking about that too. Um, but yeah, I think it's interesting the ways that like the movie, I mean, I think the Cinderella analogy is apt because clearly the movie wants us to understand that Daphne entering this very privileged world makes her come in and you know see needs that no none of these you know spoiled rich kids around her will like those two sisters that like she's the only one who is nice to um so it like engages it, it engages with it in on that very superficial disney level of well because she grew up with this different background she you know is more able to, like, look out for those around her. You know, kind of in the same way, like, Cinderella takes care of all the animals. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, and I think, you know, I I actually, I really did enjoy those scenes with, especially those twins. That was a very funny and kind of sweet scene where everyone's just being so awful and cutting to these um, two girls who I think are named after fruit. Peach and pear. Peach and pear. I um, have a sister named Parsnip. Oh God, yeah, I forgot about that. Which uh, was so unfortunate. So unfortunate. Um, and you know, Daphne, you know, is kind to them and offers. I don't. It's implied she offers them some fashion advice and helps get them nicer dresses, and then suddenly everyone else decides they should be nicer to them, too. So, like, I think that's the level on which the movie, you know, that's, like, the movie shorthand for, you know, Daphne, you know, kind of going between these very, you know, different class spaces. Um, She is, like, bringing this kindness with her. And consideration for other people. Um, yeah, and I think that's set up in the early scenes where, you know, she's working a wedding and kind of fixes everything. I really love that it's either, like, the second or third scene where she's waitressing at a wedding and the groom is drunk and, un- or the best man? Was it the best man? No, it's the groom. It's the groom. Okay, somebody who has to give a speech or, like, be up. He is fallen drunk under a table and so she thankfully has you know the very good idea to like stick some ice down the back of his neck and he gets up and is able to dance and 
Um, but yeah, I think that's like the shorthand for like us understanding like she's very quick on her feet and she's like kind to people and we see her, you know, helping out her coworkers and her coworkers helping her back, you know, like she has a very um positive rapport. Um, I thought that scene with her she had like a little exchange with her coworker that I thought was really sweet where like in a down a moment of downtime she's like trying to scramble in like a college application and her coworker is like, Oh, I'll cover you. Like take a minute, like finish, you know, what you need to do in your college application. Like, good luck. Um I thought that was very sweet. Sweet little moment. Yeah. Um so I think yeah, like it that's as far as it's willing to engage with it. Um Yeah, and I think, I mean, the whole, like, relationship between the mom and Colin Firth, um, you know, I think we're supposed to understand that, and I'm probably, like, digging way too much into this, but that, like, as much as High Sparrow is the cause for them breaking up and, like, manipulating them. Like, there there was also, like, she was not sure about entering, you know, this totally different privileged world. Um, which I, I think is a, you know, a, a plot trope staple. I mean, I'm rereading uh, The Duchess War by Courtney Milan today, and that's, like, a whole, that's the same through line. <laughs> Yeah, I thought it was an interesting kind of a, a bit of an interesting twist for this one in that Daphne knows who her dad is. Yeah. Um but he doesn't know that she exists. But usually usually in these kinds of stories it's like a surprise or a mystery who the like missing parent is and then like the kid goes to find them and gets to find out that they are, um, you know, wealthy or royalty or whatever. And in this one, it's like, nope, she, her mom told her, like, she knows who her dad is. Um, yeah, I thought that was a really interesting little, like, inversion. Um, yeah, and I don't know if, like, we're supposed to read into that, that, like, the mom, I mean, because clearly in the beginning, like, Daphne takes a lot of comfort in, like, hearing the story of how her parents met. Like, it seems to be something that she demands her mom tell her at least every birthday, if not more frequently. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of an interesting choice that the, the story is not about her figuring out who her dad is. It's her meeting him. I miss seeing Colin Firth and stuff. I know. Like, I just, I find him to be a very comforting presence in movies. And it was nice to, nice to see him back. Has he done anything since Kingsman? Oh, God, I hope so. I, okay, not gonna lie, I love Kingsman. (laughs) That movie is, oh, that movie is trash, but I love it. Yeah, it was too much for me. That's fair. Um, I have kind of a hard limit on how much 
comedic senseless violence I can deal with. Yeah. Which I think this... Um, What's up? Sorry. He was in 1917, which I forgot, because every single actor in that movie looks exactly the same to me. Yeah. That's right. And he was also in... He was also in the Mamma Mia sequel, of course. Oh, yeah. Um, and also, what I have just learned from IMDb, uh, they are remaking The Secret Garden. Oh, really? And he is playing Lord Archibald Craven. Oh, interesting. I will say that I... version of The Secret Garden where he plays older Colin was quite formative for me. I can't tell from this if it's going to be a musical, though my guess is that it won't be. Mm. Um, but the little boy from um, the Golden Compass TV show is going to be Dickon, which I like a whole lot. Oh, that's great. Oh, man, this is going to spur me back down my Mary Dickon fanfiction rabbit hole. A, a rabbit hole I've been down many a time before. <laughs> I I listen I, I frequently listen to the musical the original broadcast original Broadway soundtrack are the words that all go in order <laughs> together um obsessively once the weather starts getting nicer and this year that was derailed a bit by the world so that didn't get quite as much play in my house um I never read that book you know, I don't think I did either. I've watched several different have... movie adaptations, but yeah, I don't think I ever read Yeah, I think I may have missed that window. Same. I mean, I also, I made the same decision about A Little Princess, where I was just like, oh, there's Alfonso Corrione's adaptation. I don't need to consume any other form of the story. Great. Correct. Like, I just so... need Sir Davos being sweet dad. Like, that's all I need out of a little princess. Which, I just have this memory of the first time he appeared on Game of Thrones being like, Oh my god, it's the dad from a little princess! And Pete was like, wait, what now? He did not understand why I was so excited. Um, so, 2003 was kind of right in the middle of Amanda Bynes's I want to say career but that yeah I don't know it's it's one year off of all that and the Amanda show which was, was I think the peak of her whole deal um and 3 years before um She's the man. Because it was really, Which, like, what, 20, 2007, 2008 that things kind of derailed? Yeah, she had, she was in Hairspray in 2007, which I think was kind of the end for her. She pops up in Easy A in 2010. Oh, she's but, so but, good in that. It, but by then, I... I think that that was sort of a last gasp for her career. Yeah, that sounds. About and there right. hasn't been anything left. I she is she is an actress that I I worry about. Yeah. Um, I think things did not go well for her, and 
she was always so pleasant in the stuff that I did see her in that I was have always been sad that things went the way that they did. Same. And it seems like she's had, you know, a lot of mental health and, you know, substance abuse like issues and yeah, and and like the media I think like was pretty cruel to her. Um from what I remember, this is, you know. No, I think that's true. I think um, she had she had some mental health and possibly substance abuse issues and it was happening in a time when the media feasted on um young girls because i mean that's it's what happened to Lindsay lohan only she disappeared in a way that Lindsay didn't for better or for worse yeah because Lindsay lohan is still kind of around for being famous but yeah amanda Bynes, you just don't care about anymore well amanda if you're listening I would watch you if you came out with another feature. And if it's better for you to not be in movies right now, that's okay, too. I hope you're taking care of yourself. Yeah, You do what you gotta do, Amanda. You do what you gotta do. <laughs> um, But yeah, I'm glad you reminded me of Easy A. Oh my god, she's so funny in Easy A. She oh, really is. She is probably the best part of that movie. Besides um, Stanley Tucci and Patricia wow. Clarkson. I was gonna say there's there's a lot of good things about Easy A. Yeah, now that I think about it, that is just a good movie. There's just a lot of yeah, good things I... going on in that movie. Um but I, I really love Amanda Bynes' performance in that movie. I mean, oh it's up there for me along with Mandy Moore and Saved as like just oh such good satire. Oh yeah. I will, okay, I was just about to get into why Saved is such a good movie, and then I realized that now is neither the time nor the place for that. (laughs) Martha, it is always a time and a place to talk about how great Saved is. I'm always here for that conversation, because I love that movie. Um, What did, oh, I was um, re-watching Howl's Movie Castle, because it came on HBO Max, and I forgot that Jenna Maloney is a voice in there, except for she has a British accent. <laughs> it is definitely something. <laughs> it is something. And it was so disconcerting. Because it was like, wait a minute, I know this voice. What is going on? And it took me, like, two scenes to puzzle it out to be like, oh, yeah, that happened. Jenna Maloney inexplicably has a British accent in this movie. <laughs> For consistency. <laughs> for consistency. Well, except for Billy Crystal. True. <laughs> well, but the, the comedic side characters don't have to stick to uh, the yeah, same the, kind of environment. That's true. That's true. Um, uh, yeah. But yeah, okay, getting back to Watercolor Wants, because I feel like there's some things about this movie we've not talked about yet. Um... Yeah, so let's talk about the the political campaigning parts, because um, I thought that was like a simultaneously like interesting, but then also like cop out direction, like because it starts being Colin Firth is campaigning to like he has a seat in the House of Lords, um, but he wants to be in the House of Commons, 
Um, and he has, like, some very nice little speeches. And then in the end, he, like, decides that he doesn't actually want that. And I don't know. I found that frustrating because it was like, sure, like, ditch your campaign advisor and your terrible fiancé who have manipulated you and lied to you. But, like, if you still want to, like, do that good you talked about in your political speeches, like, you don't need to drop out of the race to do that. Like, right. I also, and maybe you know a little bit more about this than, or maybe you can explain this to me. Is what he's doing possible? Um, I believe so. I don't know that many people do it, but I I do believe, because my understanding is that the House of Lords has, like, little to no power these days. Because the House of Lords is hereditary, correct? Like, you get get your seat there if you're from a landed family and the House of Commons is elected? Yes, exactly. Okay, I was not far off the mark. The House of Lords still has, like, some limited... Like, things they can do, but for the most part, the the power of the British government is in the House of Commons. Okay, so let's look here. But yeah, I agree with you. It seemed kind of radical, especially considering the fact that everybody in that family ends up in England anyway. Like, if it had been, if it had been the kind of thing where he was like... I must be with the woman that I love and to do that I have to go to the United States like I still don't maybe agree with that decision but it at least has some basis in like like there's some logic there but yeah right. for him to just be like and now I'm not going to do all the things I said I was going to do because I'm in love it's like dude you can be a politician and also marry this American chick. Right. Like, like they're not mutually that's, exclusive. That's chill. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm not finding any examples of members of the House of Lords who have given up their seats in, and become members of the House of Commons. Um, that may just be like a product of like my quick Google search terms aren't, you know, the most accurate. Um, but yeah, it sounds like. For the most part, the House of Lords is kind of a a vestige of, you know, ye old days. They do still have some, like, limited power, um, but a lot of those powers were curtailed. Um, It's probably still not great that it exists. Um, But, yeah, but yeah, no, it just... The, the fact that they presented him with this false choice of, like, either be the politician he wants to be or be with Daphne and her mom. Like, I, I didn't like that. No, although it, it, it is kind of interesting to think that that's typically the choice that faces women mm. in romantic movies. Like either have your career or the love of your life. And it was kind of interesting to see that posed to the man in the relationship. That's true. And I guess, well, and that makes me think of, did you watch the uh, Mindy Kaling-headed Four Weddings and a Funeral miniseries? I have not yet. Okay. I would would recommend it with some caveats. Um, Sure. I I think in in general, I enjoyed the, the time I spent there and... 
think it's good. But it's interesting because one of the like more radical things it lets its heroine do do um, is have both, and she she's in politics, and it. Um, but you know that came out in twenty nineteen, um, and and you know and the fact that like an example sprung to my mind of when something did that and it's like oh i remember that because that show let that heroine do that you know i think speaks volumes about what you're what you're saying mm-hmm. well anything else we want to touch on for what a girl wants the lack of opportunity of what colin firth <laughs> Come on, guys. Just throw us well, Pride and Prejudice audience... fans a bone. Or rather, a wet column first. The audience for this movie was the 14-year-olds, not the 30, 30-year-olds. <laughs> so. Also fair. I just love... Have you ever seen Lost in Austin? I have not. Oh, it's very good. Um, I would highly recommend it. Um, but yeah, they do a whole pastiche of the, the wet shirt column first. It's great. Nice. That is a montage that I, or not a montage. Um, I was, I was now, now the only word I can think of is pastiche and you've already used that one, but that, that is, that's a collection of images I get behind. (laughs) I would, li- I would like to apologize to our listeners. Um, my brain is a little bit Swiss cheese today, and I'm sorry if that means I'm not as verbose as usual. You're doing great. Well, do we have any more thoughts? or That's pretty much all I got, unless you have any final thoughts. No, yeah, I'm, I'm good. So, Marin, what would you recommend to our listeners uh, to enjoy alongside What a Girl Wants? Yeah, so I would recommend The Royal We, um, which, let me, okay, did come out in 2015. So, which was written by Heather Cox and Jessica Morgan and came out in 2015. Um, And it's about an American college student who studies abroad at Oxford and falls in love um, with the heir to the British throne in a slightly, like, different timeline, um, where it is, uh, there's, like, a slight alternate history of the folks who are the royal family of Britain, um, but yeah, it's the, the, their love story and kind of the twists and turns, um, from when they're students at Oxford, um, it... Is there are some not so subtle nods to to Kate Middleton, um, in it, um, yeah, but yeah, well, really. I think they, I think they've said outright that it's partially inspired by Kate and Will's. Yeah, romance. yeah, and like the cover especially kind of like looks like a fairly famous photo of Kate and Will, um. So, but yeah, very fun book. The sequel comes out um, in a week and a half um, that I'm very excited to read. Uh, but yeah, if you enjoyed What a Girl Wants, the Royal We. Uh, 
And I, the book that I'm going to recommend is called My Almost Flawless Tokyo Dream Life by Rachel Cohn, uh, about a girl who finds out that her dad is a wealthy Japanese businessman and gets plucked out of the foster care system uh, to come live with him in his very expensive high-rise in Japan. Uh, the private school that she enrolls in is full of, uh, like, the children of diplomats and business people and like very posh uh you know she gets kind of thrown into this very posh situation situation uh and then she has to navigate like figuring out who she is in light of all of this sudden um, wealth and luxury and also the fact that her grandmother is extremely racist towards her because she's only half japanese um it is travel porn of the best variety right now uh a lot of it takes place in like um you know really hot uh popular to the youth areas of tokyo um and it it's, it's like an intersection of a couple of my very favorite genres of YA literature like boarding school lit and also travel porn and also just like rich voyeur situation <laughs> um but yeah it's got it's got a lot in common with what a girl wants in terms of like somebody who's not used to luxury finding out or being you know suddenly exposed to wealth and privilege and figuring out who she is in light of all of that uh rachel Cohn is an author who frequently writes books with david levithan uh she is one of the co-authors on Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist and uh, Naomi and Eli's No Kiss List, which Marin may re remember. Oh, I sure do. Uh, yeah. Uh, so this is a solo book that she has that I liked quite a lot. So that's my recommendation for you today. My almost flawless Tokyo dream life. Uh, so our, our next movie that we will be watching is one that I'm very excited about and is available on Hoopla, I believe, uh, is 2018's Skate Kitchen, uh, directed by Crystal Moselle and written by, oh, written by the direct director. So written and directed by Crystal Moselle and starring Rachel Vinberg, Dee Dee Lovelace, Nina Moran, Cabrina Adams, and others. Um, this is uh, based on a true story about a bunch of skateboarder girls in New York City. Very excited to be watching this one. Uh, and we thought we would take the opportunity to watch a movie by Black creators about Black characters. So I hope that you all listening at home will, en will enjoy that with us in two weeks. Uh, until then... You can follow us and our sister show, Did You Do Your Homework, on social media at DYDYH Podcast. Uh, Did You Do Your Homework is the show that I co-host with Marin's husband, Pete, which releases on alternating Wednesdays on the same feed as this one. I encourage you to check it out. Uh, you can follow me on social media at Magical Martha on all the places. Uh, today... I have been tweeting on the hour uh, recommendations for you uh, that are middle grade fantasy by authors of color as alternatives to Harry Potter because JK Rowling has once again put, put her foot in her mouth and doubled down on being a turf and I don't hold with that. 
So in an effort to help us all culturally move past Harry Potter, which I do think we need to do, um, I have been recommending other books that you can share with your uh, children or just check out yourself. Marn, where can people find you? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at A underscore star underscore danced, um, where I tweet a lot. Um, well, and this week has been mostly tweeting about our current events. Um, yeah. Uh, so I, I generally tweet a lot about rom-coms and romantic comedies and... Um, maps but yes this is certainly a week where news definitely takes the the priority yeah i keep thinking that it would just be better for me to take twitter off my phone and then i just don't do that so yeah that's where i'm at ah, that's fair yeah and there's a cycle <laughs> of like yeah like feeling the need to be on it but also yeah anyway yeah, it's a whole cycle. But yeah, if folks want to follow me on Twitter, I am a underscore star underscore danced. We are doing our best to make the internet landscape a little less of a hell pit. Exactly. Much like Colin Firth. Much who, like Colin Firth. Who is sadly not wet shirt in this movie. I'm just going to keep coming back to that. Well... Thank you all for listening. We will see you again in two weeks. And until then, just remember that we love you. You're listening to Love Ya, the guided... Why? <laughs> Why? Why? Okay. All right. Words are hard. Words are hard and I've been working all day. You're doing okay. so great considering you have worked a full day. I'm so impressed right now. <clears throat>